Well, thank you for the opportunity to be back at Northside. I was a member here many years ago when I was in my doctoral program. I rarely get to come back to a church that I've been a member. Uh, and I'm so excited about what you're doing here. Excited that my wife can be with me today. Uh, uh, we were, lived over across 378 somewhere <laughs> uh, many, many years ago. I am a psychologist by training. I uh, worked at the mental health clinic for many years. I left the mental health clinic. Uh, one reason I left, I couldn't tell the staff and the patients, uh, except the staff had the keys. Other than that, I couldn't tell a whole lot of difference. I uh, uh, had a unique life. One week I worked at a mental health clinic. The next week I worked at a Baptist church. People say, is that a big adjustment? I say, no, the staff still have the keys. And so I... Uh, because I am a, a graduate of South Carolina, I do feel your pain. Uh, so evidently, we won the toss and elected to go home. I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, somebody said we got to change our mascot to the opossum. Uh, we play dead at home and get killed on the road. So that's kind of the way it is. So uh, uh, I thought about switching to talk about depression, but uh, I'm going to do stress. I'm going to talk to you in a series today. Uh, actually, I'm going to do part of it called All Stressed Up and Know Where to Blow. How many stressed a little bit? Okay. Uh, okay. How many stressed because of the person beside you? you know, that, that's, that's the relationship series. We have it, but I'm not going to do that today, all right? Many, many years ago, two cardiologists in San Francisco were doing some research, and they couldn't find what we call statistical significance. So they decided to reupholster their office. Had a guy come in and reupholster their office. And he was leaving. He said, guys, I know you're a cardiologist. I know I'm a working class man. But I think I can know something that might help you in your research. He said, chairs are my life. And I know a lot about chairs. Been in the business 38 years. And I've noticed something about your chairs. The backs of your chairs, best backs I've ever seen 38 years of poster business. I mean, it's like they were perfect. I mean, you wanted them redone. I mean, I redid them, but, it, but they were great. And this part of the chair was like nobody ever said it. And I mean, it was perfect. But the fronts of your chairs are the worst fronts I've ever seen 38 years of poster business. And I think the patients, the people who come to see you that are sick, are people who never sit back and relax in their chair. The people who see you are always up on the front of their chair, and they seem to be so stressed out, they are rubbing it down to the wood. And I think it's the personality of the people that are making them sick. And he left, and they turned to each other and said, I think he's got something there. And we started to do research, and we found out that the reason you get sick most of the time is because of stress. And the reason you have stress is because of the way you think. The Bible's always talking about renewing your mind. Jesus said it this way, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. We could say all ye that worked and have been worked on. Sometimes you work out there and sometimes you get worked on, don't you? Or all you are stressed and all you've been stressed out. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Uh, most of us trust God for eternal life. We believe his principles for eternal life. But we don't practice his principles for a great life. Jesus says, learn from me. And then he says this, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
I've studied a lot of psychotherapies, you know, all those things where you lay down and talk about your mother, you know, because it's not one thing, it is your mother. And uh, uh, I've studied a lot of philosophies, but not any of them promise rest for your souls. Jesus is the only one that promises that. Now, promise rest. And then it says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is I'm going to preach a sermon one time called, Who Stole the Easy Yoke? I mean, how did we make Christianity so hard? Why is everybody so stressful? Why are they just always irritated? I mean, what, what did we do? Did we really learn from Jesus? How do, we, how do you renew your mind? Because I promise you, your emotions come from the way you think. And many times, you really don't have emotional problems. You have living problems. I'm a, a speaker around the country. I, I uh, speak just about everywhere with, to anybody. I speak to a lot of conventions, and they have a golf tournament before the convention. And I'm a golfer, so I always say, yeah, I'll, I'll play in your golf tournament, come a little early. And they always pair me with somebody who's just awful. I mean, I've seen better swings on condemned playgrounds. I mean, it's just awful, you know. And, uh, and he'll get up there, and this one guy I played with, on the first tee, he misses the ball on the first swing. I mean, just misses it, you know. And then he just gets, you know, and he swings again and misses it. And, you know, I'm an encouraging person. So I say, hey, don't quit now. You got a no-hitter going. I mean, you know, just kind of <laughs> encourage him a little bit. Uh, and then we'll play the round. And this guy will get mad say bad words and throw the club down, dumb game, awful core, stupid green, you know, and, and just mad. And the, the president of the company will turn to me and say, vice president here, can you help him? I mean, look at him. He's got anger issues. His veins are all falling out, you know, saying bad words. And could you help him with his anger? I said, you know what would really help him? You know what would keep him from acting like that? He said, what? I said, a golf lesson. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, if I played golf like he did, I'd be like that too. <laughs> he doesn't have anger issues. He got golf problems. If you helped him with a lesson and got his golf better, his anger would get better. Some of you think you got emotional problems. You don't have emotional problems. You got living problems, what you have. People used to tell me, man, I'm depressed, and I'd think in my mind, if I lived the way you live, I'd be depressed too. Yeah. We get it all backwards. See, you can't act your way out of a feeling. You gotta, you, you gotta do it when you're thinking, then you continually do it, and you act your way out of a feeling. It doesn't happen immediately. So, see if we can help you today. Change your mind about some things. Your mind does influence everything. I, uh, from a couple of years of my life, well, three years of my life, I, uh, I interned at a, at a mental health clinic in Augusta, Georgia. Then I stayed on for a couple of years, and I was chief of diagnostic and clinical services at a mental health clinic. That meant I was in charge of coming up with a diagnosis for every patient. Because if you don't have a diagnosis, you don't, you don't get insurance. And insurance runs the whole world, all right? And so got to make sure you got a di diagnosis so you can get insurance. So we have this meeting uh, in the afternoon at 2 o'clock. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, one of those days. And uh, uh, I was in charge of the meeting. It was a very 
boring meeting. I mean, you can imagine coming up with a psychiatric diagnosis, you know. Uh, and so you had psychiatric uh, work, uh, social workers there, psychiatric nurses, psychiatrists. You know, if it was a kid, you had their teacher there. And it's just a lot of people there. And you went through all these files and, you know, come up with a diagnosis. It was just boring, just boring. So I thought, how can I liven up that meeting? So I was walking around the mental health clinic one day, and I found a gorilla suit. Now, why would they be a gorilla suit at the mental health clinic? I have no idea, but I pretty much know why. Because it was a government-supported mental health clinic, and you know how the government is. If you don't get money, you don't spend all your money that year, you're not going to get your money next year. And so somebody had to spend some money, so they decided to buy a gorilla suit. Well, I decided, let's make some use of taxpayer money. So I let everybody, and this is one of those things where you don't really think it through. You just kind of thought it was a good idea at the time. So I thought, let everybody get in that room, and then I'm going to gorilla in at 2 o'clock. You know, just charge right through those double doors and gorilla right in there. Sounded good to me, you know. And I did. I planned it well. Everybody got in there, waited a little bit after 2. You know, where's Dr. Lowry? And all of a sudden, boom, I just gorillaed in. And they took off. <laughs> I mean, they just took off. Now, here's what I forgot. There's one thing I didn't put into my plane. Here's one thing I forgot. You never totally relax when you work at the mental health clinic. I mean, you never totally relax. You don't know what they're thinking or what they're doing. You know? so, so I'm sure they, boom, boom, they, they're gone. So I, I thought, well, I've got to do something here. So I decided to chase a little nurse down the hall, you know, because she's... <laughs> kind of going down the hall, and I was chasing her down the hall, kind of gorillaing down there best I could. And, and she got to a wall where she couldn't go anywhere else. So she's just turning and looking at me and the gorilla. And she's starting to, you know, turn green and hyperventilate. And I realize I've, I've taken this too far. So I take off my gorilla head and say, it's not a patient. It's not the gorilla. It's me, Dr. Lowry. Well, I, I won't tell you what she said. It wasn't very nice. But... She had all the characteristics of stress. Matter of fact, she was in a lot of stress. You checked all of her physiological symptoms, she was in unbelievable stress. But it was not true. Most of your stress comes from things you think you're true. Matter of fact, you count them as evidence when they're just wrong information. And you base your life on a lot of wrong information. So we're going to try to renew your mind, change the way you think, and then we've got to change the way you act. And here's the problem, because changing the way you act is the hardest thing in the world. Why? Because you have what I call your Adam suit. If you heard me speak before, it's your body. It's not you, but it's what you live in. And the more you do down here with your Adam suit, the better life you're going to have. You know? And so you've got to learn to deal with this Adam suit. Now let me tell you about your Adam suit. It does not want to act better. It wants to feel better. It does not want to plan. It wants a pill. It does not want education. It wants medication. It wants to engage in tension-relieving activities, not gold-achieving activities. That's my Adam suit, and that's your Adam suit. It just wants to feel good. Some of your Adam suits didn't even want to get out from under the cover this morning because it just felt so good being there. That's your Adam suit. That's my Adam suit. And you're never going to totally redeem your Adam suit. God's got to kill it to get you into heaven, okay? You're never going to totally redeem it. The more you can redeem it, the better life you're going to have down here.
You say, now, now wait a minute, Charles. We're, we're here on a Sunday. I mean, we're, we're, we're the Christians. We're the, we're the good guys. Doesn't matter. Still got an Adam suit you got to deal with. Think about it. The greatest Christian that ever lived. If you ask theologians, who's the greatest Christian that ever lived? They'd probably say the Apostle Paul. Greatest Christian that ever lived. You know what he said about his Adam suit? The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I would really like to do, I can't seem to make myself do it. That's not a teenager. That's the greatest Christian that ever lived. What does that mean for you? That means you're in deep trouble. That's what that means. You know? And not only do you have this Adam suit that wants what it wants and it's very selfish, you live in a world that's a Ponzi scheme. The world is always saying you can have this without that. And you can for a while. But unfortunately, the that eventually shows up. And by the time the that shows up, you're usually addicted to the this. That's just the way it works. God has set up the world to work on certain spiritual and psychological and physical laws. You work with those laws, you're going to have a great life. You violate those laws, you're going to have a miserable life. Whatsoever men sows, that shall he also reaps. The world says things like this. Life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Dumbest thing I ever heard. Life's not like a box of chocolates. You tell me what you're doing, I'm pretty much going to tell you how it's going to turn out. Now, Here's what happens. We live in a fallen world. God can't redeem it either. So you're going to have a few surprises down here. You can reap and you can sow and you can get out the weeds and that'll probably work for seven or eight years. But then every now and then you'll get a hailstorm or something will happen and it'll wipe out the whole crop. That's because we live in a fallen world. But pretty much most of the time you do this, this is going to happen. Now, you can get by with it for a while. I mean, even gravity, pull it off for a while jump out of a 70-story building about 30 stories down you can say so far so good but eventually it's going to happen you see that's that's just the way it is see life is like a box of chocolates if it's a Whitman sampler remember Whitman samplers remember those you could look up in the top and it would tell you what's in the bottom you know like caramel and pecans third from the right there it is you've got it you know uh, you want peanuts and and chocolate second from the left you got it now they would wrap up a few remember that they wrapped up a few surprises you're going to have a few surprises down here but pretty much what's her man sows that shall they also reap and that's the six that's the way you have success in life but because of this Ponzi scheme, it's very difficult down here to be successful, especially when you're young, because the world is always telling you, you can have this without that. Best way I can visualize it is this. I'm in the airports a lot, because I have to fly places and my arms get tired. So I try to get airplanes, all right? And so I, I love these airports, especially when you gotta make a connection or something, and they have these people movers you ever see them they're like they're like escalators on the floor you know and they're moving and you're moving and I like them because they move and you move you go in the same direction and man you make a lot of time I like those things man they're good but it's late at night about 10 o'clock and there's a ball team of some kind usually 17 18 year old males anybody know any 17 18 year old males uh, if you're around a 17 or 18 year old male for a long period of time, 
you think some thoughts like, can an IQ test come back negative? You know, stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, because their IQ is pretty much like plant life, you know. Uh, uh, they say things like, can we ride on the pickup cab going 80 miles an hour? Stuff like that. They don't want to do anything people tell them. They'll say things like this. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm joining the Marines. And that's just the way they think, you know. Uh, now, you have this 17-year-old male, and his body has matured, all right? He now has muscles, you know. He's grown up. He's as tall as he's going to get. His body has matured, but his brain has not, you know, especially that prefrontal lobe. He has not matured in the brain, but he has matured in the body. And when the brain is mature and the body, well, when the brain is immature and the body is mature, there's a juice called testosterone but in an immature brain it's called stupid juice and it goes into the body uh, and so they do unbelievable things now I'm there late at night and I see this ball team of some kind and they decide to go down the people mover the wrong way why because they can and they're young and they got this juice flowing through their body. And they do it. I mean, they work at it. I mean, some of these things are half a mile long, and it's going this way, and they're going the wrong way. But they, I mean, they work at it. I mean, they're strong and young, and they do it. They, I mean, they go half a mile all the way to the end of that thing. And they get all the way to the end of that thing, and then they start high-fiving each other and laughing. We went the wrong way. Look at us. And they don't realize they're still standing on the people mover. And it's taken them all the way back. <laughs> Let me tell you about life. Work with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Do it my way. If I want to eat that, I'm going to eat that. If I want to smoke that, I'm going to smoke that. If I want that pleasure, I'm going to get that pleasure. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you tell me. And they can do it for a while. But then you run into those same people five years later, ten years later, and they're right back where they started. They've lost their marriage. They lost their career. They're addicted to something. And their life is a mess. Why? Because the world is a Ponzi scheme. You, can't have, you can have this without that or only for a short period of time. So how do we handle this thing we call the Adam suit? I use the word best. How do you have the best life possible? And we won't get through the whole thing. That's why we have a resource table because some of you need a psychologist in your car anyway. And so uh, we'll do the best we can. B stands for boundaries. Because your Adam suit just wants to do what it wants to do, you have to have some kind of boundaries set up. So you can get where you need to get like a train needs to get to a destination it has to have a track it has to have a boundary to get it there now the world remembers a ponzi scheme the world says you don't need boundaries that just constricts you you need to be self-actualized you need to have all the freedom you want is that really true i mean i fly a lot and those planes 
they always go off runways and they land on runways. I mean, they're very narrow, very constricted. I, I wish somebody maybe would go to the pilot sometime and say, hey, look, that runway is so narrow and so constricted. This time when you're landing today, don't worry about that runway. Try to land over by my house close to the mall somewhere. And the pilot will say, you're an idiot. You know, That runway is going to keep you alive. That boundary is good for you. And that's the way life is. Boundaries are not to constrict you. Boundaries are to give you the freedom to be the person that God had in mind when he created you, you see. Uh, remember the name Sonny Bono? Remember that name? He was a singer, became a conservative politician, by the way. Uh, he was skiing, and he decided to ski outside the boundaries because the boundaries were so constricting. He wanted freedom, actualize ski outside the boundaries and he did and he hit a tree with his head and he was killed instantly it was very ironic the very same year one of those kennedy boys decided to ski outside the boundary hit a tree with his head and was killed it does not matter if you're young old republican democrat conservative liberal you hit a, a tree with your head, you're going to die. Why? Because those boundaries weren't there to keep you from having fun. Your boundaries were there to keep you alive so you could have fun for a longer period of time. This school had a great playground. The kids really enjoyed this playground. They loved this playground. And uh, the principal would watch them sometimes through his window play in that playground. Well, the highway department, for some strange reason, built a highway right by the playground. Big highway right by the playground. Principal couldn't believe it. Matter of fact, uh, the kids didn't enjoy any of the playground. They were so afraid of those cars on that highway that they hovered up against the building, and they didn't enjoy any of the playground. So he thought, i got to do something. So he went to the PTA, and he raised some money, and he built a fence all the way around that playground. The first day the fence was up, he looked out the window and he saw those children out there enjoying every inch of that playground. Matter of fact, some of them were playing right up to the very fence. Why? Because the boundary was their protection so they could play and enjoy life. God has put boundaries in your life for your protection so you'll enjoy life, not just for the short term, but for all how long you're here. He wants you to be in this boundary to help you, one thing, get to your destination. A train on that narrow track will get to its destination. A train off the track is called a wreck. A boat on, on a river, inside that river, will get to its destination and bring commerce and, and maybe lots of good stuff. Uh, a boat outside that river is called a wreck. And that river outside his bank is called a swamp. That fireplace inside your house will give you romance and warmth and Maybe even a marshmallow every now and then. But that fire outside the fireplace will destroy your hopes and your dreams. Make sure you have boundaries in your life because the world is a Ponzi scheme and going outside the boundaries would not allow you to have more fun. It will destroy your hopes and your dreams. Set some boundaries. E stands for enjoy what you have. Remember, it's not the facts, it's your focus. The facts are there's something wrong with everything. 
But the matter is, your Adam suit wants to focus on not what you have, but what you don't have. Remember Adam and Eve, Adam's family? That's who you came from. They had everything. And what did they want? They wanted the one thing they did not have. As a rule, man's a fool. When he's hot, he wants to cool. When he's cool, he wants it hot. Always wanting what's not. As a rule, man's a fool. You know that, don't you? That's me, and that's you. See, So we have to learn to focus on the facts, which the facts are good and they're bad. And you have to decide, what am I going to focus on in this situation? And your Adam suit wants to focus on the negative. My daughter, Brianne, about six or seven, going to teach her how to ride the bicycle. Took her to water park the fall of the year in Arlington, Texas. Uh, not a car in the parking lot. I said, look at all this asphalt. You're going to be a bike rider, Brianne. Man, you're going to feel the wind against your face. I had to ride on sand and rock, but you're going to go on asphalt. You're going to go fast. You're going to be a bike rider. She was excited. I was excited. Got that bike out. Look at all that asphalt. I said, Daddy, what's that way down there? I said, don't worry about that. You're going to be a bike rider. I said, that's a pole. Well, I know that's a pole, but look at all this asphalt. You're going to be a bike rider. What if I hit the pole? You're not the pole, Brianne. Look at all this asphalt. You're going to be a bike rider. Dad, if I hit the pole, it's going to hurt. It's not going to hurt because you're not going to pole. Now get on a bicycle. You know how to teach a kid how to ride a bike, don't you? Run like crazy, feel the wind against your face. You're a bike rider. What if I hit that pole? You're not going to hit the pole. Go. And she heads straight for the pole. <laughs> Daddy, I'm headed for the pole. I said, turn it to the right. Look at all that asphalt. Turn it to the right. I can't turn it to the right. I'm headed for the pole. Turn it to the left. Look at all that. Turn it. I can't turn it to the left. I'm she mutilated that pole. By the time I got there, lips stuck out, tears in her eyes. I told you I was going to hit the pole. I said, I know, Brianne, because you focused on the pole. Let me tell you why some of you are stressed out, irritated, bad mood, hard to be around. You're pole hitters. Pole hitters. Here a pole, there a pole, everywhere pole, pole. Always talking about it. Pole. Some of you mad today. We're not in the order. We're in that gym. Gym. It's uncomfortable. Not enjoy your in somewhere, you know, that's got heat in the air and you're able to sit down. Most of the people in the country that go to church, they can't even, you know, go anywhere. You know, don't be a pole hitter. But they're everywhere, I promise you. Every business I speak to got pole hitters there. You're a, and by the way, it, there's something wrong with everything. Remember, God's going to have to create a new heaven and a new earth. There's something wrong with everything down here, I promise you. So if you want a pole, you'll find one. There's something wrong with everything. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. Something wrong with your pastor. Something wrong with your car. You don't know it yet. There's something wrong with everything. You know. That's just the way it is. I mean, go out there. You know that. Switch lanes. You know, that slow lane you're in, you switch that lane. And then you, what do you do? You slow down the other lane. The reason it slows is because you're in it. It just slows down when you get in the other one. So just stay where you are, would you? You know, uh, the mate that snores goes to sleep first. That's just life. That's the way it is. You know, the barcode never works on the most embarrassing item. I promise you, I know that one. I raised three girls. I mean, I know that one. My wife used to hand me that grocery list, and I say, I'm not buying that. Yes, you are. You the daddy. You buying that. No, I'm not. I'm not the daddy then. I'm not. Yes, you the daddy. You buying that. I'm the daddy. I'm buying that. But I don't want anybody to see I'm buying that. Sneak through. Nobody looking. Price check. They wave it. I'm saying, 
put it down, I'll pay anything, get me out of here. That's just life, you know. You got a pole in your family. I guarantee you got a pole in your family. Every family tree has a sap. You got a pole in your family. Instead of joining Christmas dinner, what did you do? I know what you did. He talked about the pole. One if the pole comes, one if the pole doesn't come. One if the pole comes drunk like last year. What if the pole brings her that other pole? What are we going to do? And life becomes miserable. And by the way, it's always been that way, and it always will be that way. Remember, it's a fallen world. God's going to create. He's not going to redeem the world either. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So it's always been that way, something wrong with everything, it always will be that way. Remember the first church relocation committee? They had a chance to go to the promised land. How good is that? The promised land, not good enough. Ten came back, not with grapes, with gripes, not going. Poles, big poles, giants, not going to the promised land. Can you believe it? Two came back with grapes. Look how big these grapes are. What God said is true. Look, they're huge. And they said, oh, yeah, that's true, all right. Only big giants could grow big grapes like that. We're not going. And they didn't go. I mean, I mean, can you believe it? The people of God had a chance to live their entire life in promised land, and instead they decided to spend their entire life in pitiful land oh yeah you can believe it maybe the same percentage today most Christians do not live their life in promised land appreciating excited about what God's done for them they spend their life in pitiful land griping complaining talking about the polls you got to learn to focus it's not the facts facts are something wrong with everything it's what you choose to focus on you might have heard about grandma and grandpa they took their Took the grandkids on vacation, turned on the interstate, saw this big sign, Natural Park. They thought, oh, that'd be good for the grandkids, nature trails, things like that. They pull in and realize this really is a natural park. Let's be politically correct here. Clothing optional lifestyle. Okay. Uh, nudist, nudist camp. Okay, this is South Carolina. For you bubbas, I'm talking naked people, all right? Uh, they... Uh, uh, they're pulling in there, and they realize, oh, no, it's a nudist camp. They're trying to get their hands up so the kids can't see. But, you know, kids, look at Papa, look at those people, look at that people. Look. Four people coming right at them on bicycles, not wearing a stitch. Can't keep their hands up. Look, Papa, look at them, look at them, look at them. They don't have, look at them, they don't have, 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 they don't have their helmets on. Now, how could they focus on that? Because that's what they've been taught all their life to focus on. You know what the book says? The book says if you're a Christian, you're to focus on things that are praiseworthy, the good stuff. You know what the book says? If you're a Christian, don't even speak a negative word. Every word you speak should be a word of edification, should be a good word. You say, well, how can I do that when things are so bad? Because if you can see the God in the situation, eventually there'll be the good in the situation. The cross is the biggest plus sign in your life. If God can get good out of the worst thing anybody can do to somebody and make it the best thing for everybody, 
and he can get good out of whatever's happened in your life. You focus on the God, eventually you'll see the good. It's just a matter of focus. You say, well, Charles, you don't know my life. I don't have anything to appreciate. Just be thankful for your nose. I mean, just be glad God put your nose on right side up. I mean, what if God put your nose on upside down? Every time it rains, you'd drown. And every time you sneeze, you'd blow your thankless head off. So just be thankful for your nose. Appreciate what you have. Enjoy what you have. Serve out of who you are. Most people end up in life trying to serve not out of who they are, but they try to impress people with what they do. And their whole life is stressful. Learn to serve out of who you are, not impress people with what you do. I could preach a whole message on that. Don't have time. Got to watch the clock. T, you want to have the best life possible. Tell yourself you win in the end. I mean, it's going to end one day. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to give you a new body. I used to be a preacher's kid, you know, in church. There, men would sing and the women would sing. It's really funny one night because one, one, one night the, the women sang, we'll get a new body, and the men sang, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> one day you'll get a new body, praise the Lord, all right? But until then, in your mind, renew in your mind, you have to tell yourself, no matter how bad it looks, we win in the end. That changes everything. I moved from Dallas, Texas to Albuquerque, New Mexico, pastor a large Baptist church. Had a large auditorium, they seat about 2,400 uh, on the television all over the state, so they had a big teleprompter over there. And when I came to the church, everybody knew, man, the new pastor's a huge cowboy fan. You know, I told you before, he's gonna be Paul Bears at my funeral so they can let me down one last time. That's the cowboys. They'll, they'll, uh, so they said, look, the pastor's a huge cowboy fan. There's a time change in Albuquerque. So at 12 o'clock in Dallas is 11 o'clock in Albuquerque. So I'm having to preach the 11 o'clock service. The game's already started. So they decided, let's just keep the pastor happy. You know, let him know how the cowboys are doing. So we'll flash the score on the teleprompter as he's preaching his message. Not a good idea. I mean, I'd be preaching away. Matthew 21 to 3? You know, it, it, it just confused me. So... So I told everybody there, I said, look, don't, don't put that on the screen anymore. I got a plan. So my plan was to go uh, and get, and, and this is going to sound like the History Channel to some of you. Uh, there used to be a big thing called a VHS, you know, video recording, and it was huge. And uh, it took two men to carry it. No, not that bad. Uh, and uh, you could videotape games. So I, I had a plan. I'd go in in the morning. I'd put the tape in. And I would record the cowboy game. I'd do all the services. I'd go have a leisurely lunch. And then I'd come by and pick it up and go watch it on my big screen. Great plan. Never worked. I'd always run into somebody, you know, uh, usually a deacon. And that's why I believe Jesus went around healing, doing miracles, and casting out deacons. And so uh, usually a deacon. And uh, he had already seen the game. Pastor, wasn't it fantastic? 40 to 20, the Cowboys, were they were awesome today. When Emmett scored those three touchdowns, and I got it in my hand. I'm thinking, oh, man, I know who won now. But I was a big fan, so, you know, I'd go home and watch it anyway. 
And what a huge difference it makes in your attitude when you know you win in the end. I mean, sometimes you forget. I mean, Emmett fumble. Can't you? We pay you millions. Oh, oh yeah. You scored three touchdowns later. Uh, hey, do just do better next time, buddy. Hey, way to go. It's no big deal. Down here, you're going to have your fumbles. You're going to have your interceptions. You're going to get knocked down. But when you know you win in the end, you get back up. You run another play. You see, let me tell you about your Adam suit. The reason God's got to kill it to get you into heaven, because you never can totally redeem it. That's why Jesus came to live a life you could never live. Two farmers sitting on their porch, looking out on the horizon. One of the farmer's dogs is coming in front of them, chasing a coyote. And the farmer says, you know, your dog's a pretty fast dog, chasing that coyote. Old farmer said, he's not doing his best. And about five minutes later, the dog comes back in the opposite direction, and this time 10 coyotes are chasing the dog. And the old farmer says, now he's doing his best. <laughs> Let me tell you about life in your Adam suit. You never do your best. You're never going to totally get it together. So God sent his best so you can rest. Did whatever needed to be done to live that life and conquered death because he wanted you and his forever family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And thank you that you're such a good God and thank you that you're our God because of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's someone here that's never trusted you as Savior. Maybe they thought it was a religion or about being good and they never understood until today that you loved them enough to come and live a life they could never live and conquer death because you wanted them in your forever family give somebody the faith to believe today others help us to renew our minds to start thinking the kind of thoughts you would have us to think and to know that we win in the end and that we can live a life praise and we know that'll be the best life possible thank you for jesus his name we pray amen